Yeah, welcome to church. <laughs> there are no words for that. There's, there's no good segue. There's only apologies <laughs> to my daughters. And, uh, and, and I, ironically, I, I actually do need a whiteboard. So if we, could, if we could bring that out, that'd be great. And let's pray together. Can we do that? So Father, we say thank you for in heaven there is also room for joy and for fun, and from your deep heart uh, today comes really, really important questions. We receive those in love today because we know that you want your very best for each of us and for all of us together. So we just say out loud, we're here, God, uh, present, open, receptive, curious. And in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray a Men. So Chris Voss, Chris was a former, the lead negotiator, international negotiator for the FBI for many, many years. Wrote a book called Never Split the Difference. It helps in any kinds of negotiation, car buying, terrorism, parenting, because sometimes terrorists and kids, hard to tell the difference between the two, so it's a... Sorry, it's a, helpful, it's a helpful book, even in selling and these kinds of things. So here's what he talks about. He said, when I first started as an FBI negotiator, it was all about strength against strength. It was all about bait and switch. It was all about power, demands, etc. He goes, what we began to develop over the years by learning about science and psychological behavior and the like was what he called tactical empathy. And he uses and invokes this thing he calls a calibrating question, which instead of saying, I demand that you release the hostages, he begins with a question like, what are you hoping to achieve by this? And all of a sudden, it opens up a whole new conversation and a whole new layer. Ruby Sales, one of the revered and renowned um, civil rights leaders in the 1960s, 70s, and beyond. In the midst of all the rancor and polarization and resistance and intensity of those times, sounds very familiar to these times, I know. In the midst of all of that, Ruby Sales would ask just one question of the people that she would meet about the injustices, about the racial tensions. She would just simply ask, where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? It would change the whole trajectory of the conversation. Glenn Kaler, longtime friend of mine, mentor, uh, ahead in the parenting game by quite a few years, had, has two young daughters. And when they got to the dating and the courting stage in their lives, I asked Glenn, I said, Glenn, what's, what's going to be your approach when these young male suitors arrive to the door and want to take your daughters out on a date? I mean, are you going to like open up the garage doors and start pumping iron, you know, or are you going to brandish your NRA card? Like, what are you going to do? And uh, he said, well, I just, I just have one question. He said, I'm going to sit him down and say, young man, how will my daughter become an even better person tonight after having been with you this evening? Huh? Is that not awesome? Right there, come on, dads. Like, you're like, okay, my work's done here. I can go home from church. I got everything I need right there. That's the power of a question. 
Where it, where, when it's thoughtfully offered, it tends to open up versus shut things down. It tends to create a sense of shared journey or discovery. It, it tends, and the person receiving the question gives them a sense of actually ownership for their own discovery, and it creates intimacy between the one asking the question and the one receiving it. In fact, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but have you ever thought about the similarity between the word question and quest? From, from Latin, they share the same exact kind of root. Like quest leads to question, and a good question will always lead somebody onto a quest, and nobody was better at it than Jesus. Jesus was like a freak at asking questions. Let me show you some numbers here, okay? Just gonna write them up. On the biblical record, Jesus asked 307 questions of people. And this is just with, again, what was captured in the biblical record and in mostly his just three, three years of, uh, of recorded history of him walking the earth. Now, 183 questions were thrown his way by everyone else. Just think about that. He asked 307, and everyone else asked him 183, of which, and this is debatable, he answered approximately only eight of the 103, 183 questions. Isn't that crazy? And he oftentimes will return a question with a question. He oftentimes would move the, do this like jujitsu move. He's like, well, let me ask you a question and things like that. 40 to one, that the likelihood of Jesus asking a question versus giving an answer, 40 to one. Don't you love those odds? Wouldn't it be awesome if we were like that? If we asked 40 questions to our every one answer versus just being know-it-alls and giving our platitudes and our bumper sticker messages and all the things that happens online. Like, wouldn't it, like, let's be like this. That Jesus came and asked questions. What kind of questions? Just if you've had the chance to read anything through, you know, through the Gospels, like just shout out. What's a question of Jesus that you remember him asking? Go ahead. Who do you say? Who do people say that I am? Really good. What else? Do you want to be? Yeah, same time in stereo. That's that's right. Do you want to be healed? What else? What's easier? Ah, love that. Hadn't thought of that one. Good. What else? What do you want me to do for you? Really, really good. Do you love me? How many loaves do you have? Why are you so afraid? Does this offend you? What were you arguing about as you're walking along the road? I mean, the questions are so insightful, and they go on and on, and in fact... What's the first thing we see Jesus doing when he's of speaking age? So there's the birth narratives. Jesus is born. He can't speak then. And then 12 years in is the very next thing we see of Jesus in his life story. And let's look. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 46. After three days they found him. Who's they? Uh, his parents. They lost him which is a parent's nightmare. It's a great story, but let's read on. They found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers. What's he doing? Listening to them, asking them questions. 
very first thing that we see. Don't you love that? He's sitting, he's listening, he's asking them questions. Don't you wish that we lived in a world where it was a 40 to 1 ratio of people willing to listen and to ask questions? I do. I want to be more like that. Before just jumping in with an answer, before trying to be the smartest guy in the room, I want to be somebody who listens and who asks questions. Now, that can be hard because there's something at risk in asking a question. We're afraid of looking weak. We're afraid of looking ignorant. It can feel somewhat insecure to, to ask a question. So we'd much rather just be the smartest people in the room. I know I'm in moments in a business meeting and someone will throw out a term and I'm not familiar with it. And, and my tendency, when I, when I, what I kind of initially want to do is just kind of like nod, like, oh, yes, yes, the KPCG, yes, I know all about the KPCG, right? And it's like, hey, I have no idea what the KCPG is. But it takes a really grounded, secure person to actually say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know what the KCPG, Z, whatever is, right? And would you explain that to me? See, it's actually the secure person who can ask any kind of question. And man, does it cause everything else to bloom around you. Now, here's what's, here's what's crazy. You, we have to hold this intention. Jesus asks 307 questions when the scriptures say he is the answer. Literally, John begins his gospel narrative by saying, in the beginning was the word. And the Greek term for word is logos. Like, and, and logos means the statement. Like, in the beginning was the statement, was the answer, was the all-consuming omniscience of, of God, all packed into Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was uh, with God, and all creation flowed through the Word. This is what we know about Jesus. The Apostle Paul picks it up, and if you look with me in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, 16, it says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. This is what we believe about Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you get the point? That the God of the cosmos comes into the flesh. He is the logos. He is the answer. He is the firstborn all over all creation. Everything happened through him. And what does he do? He asks questions. That's a paradox. The paradox is Jesus was a know-it-all. Literally, a know-it-all. And he asked others what they knew. Do we? Do we have that kind of ability to be so grounded? Because it's actually, so much happens through a question. It actually happens for Jesus in the temple. If we go back to Luke chapter two, just look at this with me. What was he doing? He was listening. He was asking questions. Verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. But who was the one asking the questions? Jesus. Didn't say he was giving answers. See, somehow, when from a grounded place you know who you are, you can ask questions and your understanding comes through, your maturity comes through, your insight comes through. And it even takes the form of 
answers. It's not an insecure move. It doesn't betray your ignorance. It actually shows your strength when we can ask questions like that. And then uh, here's how the passage ends, kind of summarizes verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, that's a developmental picture of Jesus, right? He is both fully God, he's fully man. How does that whole thing, kind of developmental picture of Jesus growing in wisdom, isn't he all wisdom? Yes and yes. Like, what does that look like? I don't know. But here's how it looks like for you and I. So in my day job, as a consultant to companies and leaders and all, all that, we work on team performance. We also work on individual development. And we have this tool. And the tool, there we go. And the tool has this person. And then a Venn diagram of three interlocking circles. All day long with an individual working on three things. The first we call PQ. This is your people intelligence, your personality intelligence. This is your self-awareness quotient. Did you know Harvard Business Review, they just released this stat that when asked, are you a self-aware person? 95% of the people said, yes, I am. You know what the actual reality is? No more than 15%. So our PQ quotient, pretty, pretty low, knowing who we are at our core. The next big circle that we're working on all day long is EQ, emotional intelligence, which is to say, what's it like to be on the other side of me in this space in between, right? What's it like to be on the other side? And am I a curious person of you? Am I others focused in how I'm relating to you? And then lastly, we call it SQ, which is just skills intelligence, which is in order to do my job, do I have the right technical skills, leadership skills, and the like in order to become a leader that helps others uh, ascend to where they need to, to ascend? So right here is what we call the core. Like this is what we're trying to develop all day long within uh, a people. Now, how do we do that? As it says in the scriptures, how do you and I, how do we grow in our wisdom, in our stature, and in favor with God and with others? Like, what's a way to grow each one of these circles? To ask questions. I mean, questions are so essential. Technically, in skill. Have you ever worked with somebody like they're new to the job and they just pretend like they, they got it all figured out already and they don't? That's horrible. You're like, do you understand? This whole thing, yes, I do. And then they go and they completely mess it up. You didn't understand. Well, they were pretending the whole time because there was something at risk for them to actually ask the question. If you've been in leadership, if you ever just said, look, I can't train you, I can't help you if I don't know what your questions are. Yeah? So questions really, really matter. Now, personality Intelligence. How do we grow in understanding who we are? How do we grow in self-awareness? Because we have this thing called the blind spot, right? So what's the best way to uncover a blind spot? By someone imposing their perspective and holding up the mirror? Or by us inviting someone in to speak into it? You ever had somebody hold up the mirror uninvited? No bueno, right? Not fun. How are we doing? Are we doing good? Are we just thinking deeply about these things? Okay, all right, looking, looking, for, looking for head nods, looking for thumbs up, looking for, looking, looking, I'm looking. 
All right. Now, how do we grow in our emotional and relational intelligence with others? You have to ask questions, right? Isn't that uh, how things grow? We have a different tool that we call the boomerang tool, which is simply saying this. Don't be the person that just makes sure that when you lob out an idea or a question, it always comes back to you. That's the boomerang. Right? Have you ever been with somebody that were just like constantly like, uh, hey, tell me this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I did this thing, and they're always kind of like one up, and you like they throw something out, and it just comes right back to them, and you're like, all right, I'm done with this conversation because it was self-absorbed, and it always came back to you. And instead, and it's so simple and yet so hard, just be interested before you are interesting. Just practice curiosity. Just be like Jesus. Listen and ask Right? This is how we grow uh, the relationship. What did Jesus do? This is what, this is what I, we don't know. We don't, we don't have insight to how he learned his general contracting skills in the, as a tradesman, but I'm only assuming he asked from those above him. He asked from his father, a carpenter, and the like. Very mysterious. How did he develop in his own understanding of his own identity? Don't know. I will say, Pastor Randy Frazee, his book, His Mighty Strength, goes into that um, in ways that were just really, really helpful for me. And yet it's still mystery. How did Jesus do this? But of the 307 questions that he asked, so much of them were right here in that relational space of that emotional intelligence. Why? Why would Jesus ask 307 questions and only give approximately eight answers? When he's the omniscient one, the all-knowing one, when he's the answer, why would he do that? Yeah, yeah, yes. Because at the very core of God is relationship. How do you grow a relationship? By telling somebody something? Or by inviting them on a quest? By asking them a question that unlocks and connects? This is why Jesus asked so many questions. I want to look at just one specifically today. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, he was there and he had two of his disciples. Now, when John saw Jesus walking by, passing by, he said this, this really kind of uh, you know, loaded statement. He said, look, the Lamb of God, like there he is. He's walking by the Lamb of God and the other two dis- disciples, we don't know Andrew was one of them. We don't know who the second one was, but they look. And this is loaded symbolic language, like to use the word lamb, like Passover lamb, like the kind of lamb you bring to the temple and you sacrifice for your sins. Like this is what we would call messianic language, the the one that we've been looking at for centuries upon centuries. He just walked by. And so these disciples, they do something really cool. They, um, They follow Jesus, and they're literally... Like, that's not metaphorical. They're literally following behind Jesus as he's walking along the road. And then turning around, so Jesus stops, saw them following, and asked, here's the question, what do you want? Now, tone is everything, right? Tone is everything in a text message. 
tone is everything when reading the scripture because you could put the emphasis on a few different places, places here. What do you want, right? What do you want? So if the emphasis were on you, that would be very different than what do you want. See the nuance? See the difference? What do you, where do you think the emphasis falls here? Of everything that we know about the heart of God. You don't think he's like, what do you want? Oh no, because he's the inviting one. He's the all loving one. I think it's what do you want? See that word want. In the Greek it's zateo. Zateo. And it means search. It means even a sense of demand. It's soliciting Desire. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he describes a shepherd who out of a hundred sheep loses one and he goes in search, zateo, after him. It's the same word Jesus uses when he describes that we have to seek the kingdom of God first. It's the same word to describe Zacchaeus when he scurries up to the tree with fervor to just get a glimpse at Jesus. He's zateos up there. You see, Jesus is using quest language. What do you want? And any good question has its kind of layers. There's kind of peripheral, surface level, but then you just go to the want behind the want to the want behind that want, and all of a sudden you're at an existential place. You know? Like I, Jesus, in the, in, the, um, in the words of one author, he's like, he kind of brought these two disciples to the fridge moment to the fridge moment. It's like, you ever just go, gone to the fridge and you're kind of bored, you think you're hungry, you open the doors and you look in there and you're like, okay, what, I, I just, I don't know, do I want this? I'm hungry, but I'm not really hungry. I'm not even quite sure why I'm here. And you're, you're kind of like trying to figure out your life with the, uh, with the moldy, um, you know, cold cuts over here and the pickles that have been in there since the 1900s and the whole thing. And you've been there for like five minutes until someone walks by and says, what are you looking for? And you're like, I don't know, I think my life. Anyone had a fridge moment? What do you want? I don't know. But I'm not sure it's on any of these shelves. But I'm going to keep looking. And that's interesting because what the disciples, their response was they kept it at a surface level. They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? They didn't say, we've been on this long search for a Messiah all of the years, and all of our hopes and dreams are pinned on you. <laughs> they just said, hey, where are you staying tonight? And by the way, that's good. Start with what you first know. Start with what just first comes out with these kinds of questions. Stay on the surface, or start on the surface. Just don't stay there. So then Jesus says, well, like, why don't you just come check it out? And this is awesome. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with it. Like, how cool, could you imagine? You're walking behind who you think to be the son of God. And then he invites you into the house where he's staying. And you get to check out like his bedroom. You get to see where he's staying. You get to open up his fridge. I mean, this is just so cool. Spending an afternoon with him. What do you want? come back to that question. We might start on the surface and then 
we go somewhere maybe, I hope, deeper. I would love for us to sit with this question. You know, the the hopes of this series, yes, let's ask questions like Jesus. Let's marvel at our very God who is the answer and ask questions, but also let's be a people who sit with his questions and let them like, as one author puts it, like a pebble in the shoe. We just keep trying to kick around and sort out and kick out, but it just stays there until we go to those deeper places. Eugene Peterson, he paraphrases this, what do you want, by actually saying, no, this is about desire, this is about quest, so it's actually, what are you going after? And can we sit with that question? When I'm scrolling mindlessly through my social media feeds, could that question arise? What am I going after? When I'm seeking for promotion or building my business to scale in order to sell, what am I really going after? When I'm just barking at everybody because no one else seems to care about having a clean house, if I could just pause and say, but what am I really going after? In this dating thing and the fact that um, I've been left unread or whatever for three days, can I stop and ask, what am I going after? What do I want? What is the want behind the want? You know, Henri Nouwen, he's an author, a former priest, He says this, he says, answers before questions harm the soul. Answers before questions harm the soul. You ever had somebody try to give you an answer and you weren't even asking the question? Or they just try to tell you, hey, here's what you need to do, here's, and you're like, no, 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 wait a minute, you just just trespassed on something there. And so I'm committed in this series to just giving us the space and the freedom to sit with a question if we would be willing and open and courageous enough to sit with it. And so that's what this card is that hopefully you got on the way in. If not, you can get it on the way out. Just ask the question of the week. We're gonna do this every week. What are you looking for is the question. And on the back, just start with the surface question. Well, I just wanna know where you're staying. Just looking for a turkey sandwich. But then what's the desire behind that desire. And just put this in a place all week long where you just, when you find yourself going after things, worrying about things, searching for things, just maybe jot down a quick note and see where where it might take you. Would you be willing to do that? We're not gonna rush to an answer. We're gonna sit with the question because Jesus offers it in love. So it's part of us being loved by him. And so Father, we, in this moment, we just say thank you that you care enough to ask. Thank you that what you're after at the end of the day is intimacy, is connection, it's friendship. 
And so you come asking questions and you come listening. And so might we be, in the words of Frederick Beekner, the ones who listen to our lives and our desires. That we might be guided by your Holy Spirit to go to the deepest, what might even feel unsearchable places of our life, starting from the surface down to the great depths that you might bring revelation, observation, and ultimately, the answer. We'll trust you with it now as we sit with the question, what do you want?